Would you go to Hebrews 4 this evening, please? Hebrews 4. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, hold your hand up. We've got extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of ours. Go to Hebrews 4 with us. Hebrews 4, we began a few weeks ago talking on this series we're calling The Truth About Temptation. The Truth About Temptation. What's the good thing about the truth? You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. He says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, we know that would include any time of need, and a lot of times this verse has been pulled out of context and just applied to, you know, time of physical need or time of financial need or whatever. But in context of it, what specific time of need was he talking about? Time of temptation. Jesus was tempted. Go to the second chapter, if you would, of Hebrews. Hebrews 2, and in verse... uh, 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, he also, Jesus himself, likewise took part of the same. Was his flesh and blood body almost like ours? No. Is it the same? The same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Did he really die? Yes, yes. And deliver them, that's us, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Man, to get free from the fear of death is to be free in every part of your life. It is to be free indeed, completely free. It is so sad that so many Christians live in fear of death and dying. Now, they might not call it that, but that's what it's rooted in. Christians have no business with any kind of phobia. I said, Christians, you and me, have no business with any kind of phobia. Well, the list of phobias would go around the equator probably a couple of times. Fear of heights, fear of low places. Fear of crowds. Fear of being alone. I mean, what I'm talking about. You talk about anything and the other side of it, and there's some kind of phobia. And, of course, they got names for them. What are they, Latin names or whatever it might be, or Greek names or derivatives thereof? This or that phobia, claustrophobia, whatever it might be. But you and I should not have them. I said we should not have them. 
saying I'm a victorious child of God and then turn around later in the conversation and tell about your phobia is a contradiction of terminology. Right? Well, I, you know, it's not just the fear of death. I'm, I have a fear of flying. Well, that's a fear of death. You're not just afraid of flying. You're afraid of crashing and dying. <laughs> it's not the flying part that's got you worried. It's the crashing and burning part. <laughs> well, it's not a fear of dying. It's a fear of, uh, of being in a tight, close place. No, it's a fear of dying. It's a fear of smothering. It's a fear of getting out in traffic and, and crashing and getting hit and dying. It all comes back to a fear of dying. And when you are really unafraid of dying, it's hard to bother you. Did Jesus die? Did he do it for our sake? To deliver them, verse 15, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Did he do it? Has he delivered us? Well, are we then? Are you? Am I? Are we delivered from the fear of death? Say it out loud. I am, I am delivered, delivered from the fear of death. She's so talking about we're no longer in bondage to this. Why? Because we're not afraid to die. Now, you know, it don't take me long to say that. <laughs> But the reality is, millions of Christians are afraid to die. Said out loud, I'm not. I'm not. I am not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. Why would you be afraid of dying? What is there to be afraid of? Now, you, the, the Lord tarries his coming just another hour or two his time. <laughs> then you're going to die. You're not going to be here for another 200 years. Huh? I know this has been a year or two ago. I was looking at one of these electronic calendars that I had on my computer. And this thing just goes on out, you know, centuries. And so I just kept looking out to the next year and the next year. And I was thinking about this and the next and the next. And eventually I stopped and I thought, oh, wait up now. I won't be here. <laughs> I probably won't be here by then. And people don't like to think about that. They're like, oh, oh, you talk about that. You know, you need to talk about it. You need to look it square in the face. Amen. The reason you wouldn't want to talk about it is because you're afraid of it. Right. And people talk about, well, you know, about dying. Yes, if the Lord tears his coming just another hour or two, his time, <laughs> much less a half a day, his time. Anybody know what a half a day God time is 500 years. He sees time compared to our perspective that way. We think a day is like 24 hours. A day to him is like a thousand years. This is all we've known. So how many understand his time, how long have we been around? <laughs> we are newbies. Aren't we? <laughs> and our knowledge shows it. <laughs> it is so ridiculous that a human being that's only been around 50 years or 80 years and has a degree or two from a little school 
that they learned from people that had only been around 50 or 80 years like them and challenge and question God and say his word can't be true. It's happening all over the place. Talk about ignorance. Ignorance. But God tolerates it all. You know, he's wonderful. But what's going to happen, you know, if the Lord tears is coming just a little while? Well, you're going to die. Your dog's going to die. Your cat's going to die. Your pet bird, all your flowers, your trees, everybody you know, and everything you've ever been around that's alive is going to die. Not it might happen. It's happening. Oh, this is fun, isn't it? God time, you will soon be dead. Soon. Does that bother you? It should only bother you if you don't know the Lord. If you're not born again, it should bother you. But if you really have been born again, if you really do know Him, then you know what happens when you die because you believe the Bible. And somebody has gone before you. (laughs) Hallelujah. And faced death for you. And conquered death for you. Didn't he? And proved that it is not the end by being raised from the dead. On your and my behalf. Proving that's what will happen to everybody that puts their faith in him. And if you really believe that, it takes away the fear of death. I like what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. I mean, you, I've said this standing by many a, a graveside. You know, he, he, you can hear it. It's a challenge. It's like a tease. Go read it. I could quote some of it to you, but 1 Corinthians 15. Because we're talking about being free from the fear of death. If you don't know this, uh, get it in your spirit. If you do know it, let it be Stirred up in you. 1 Corinthians 15. Are you there? He said verse 53. 1 Corinthians 15. 53. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. How many believe it is coming to pass? There will come a time when death will be completely swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, this is the part I was talking about particularly. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has pulled the stinger out of death as far as you and I are concerned. Believers are concerned. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? How many know we can say this over the grave of every believer? Can't we? And they can say it over us. Why? This is not the end. They're not even there. This is just their body that they got through using. Right? It's not even the end of this body. See, the world is crying like there's no hope, like this is the absolute bleak end. But we can stand there and say, Death! Where's your victory? 
Say it again. Read it out loud with me. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Well, that don't sound like we're much afraid of death, does it? That don't sound like we're much shaken. Oh, yeah, you know, you shed some tears. That's just natural. You feel it on your soul. But how many understand what you believe is more powerful than what you feel? And will sustain you. And if it's somebody you know that knows the Lord, you didn't lose them. You'll see them again soon. You know exactly where they are. Same place you're going to be. Soon and very soon. Right? So we do not sorrow like those who have no hope. And we are not afraid of death like people who've not been redeemed. Go back to Hebrews. Let's remind her. That's what he's talking about. Jesus took part of the same flesh and blood that we have. And through death, he destroyed the one who had. I like that word, H-A-D. The one who had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through all their lifetime were, through the fear of death, were subject to bondage. Now keep reading verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor or to help them that are tempted. Now we're talking about the truth about temptation. And one thing we need to see that's true that a lot of times people had not thought enough about, was Jesus tempted? Was he tempted In our first verse we read, in every way, like us, in all things. And these two you need to put together, this second chapter and that uh, fourth chapter. In all ways and things, he's made like us. And in all areas and ways, he's been tempted like us. Is it true? Now that hasn't been talked much about because preachers and believers just kind of want to shy it away from that because they think some way or another it takes away from him. The idea that Jesus was ever tempted to do something wrong, like I've been tempted, that just, we don't like to think about that. But we need to think about it because the truth about temptation will set you free. One thing we must get cemented in our understanding is that it is not a sin to be tempted. Hmm? Should you feel ashamed because you were tempted? Should you repent because you were tempted? I'm going to say that again real slow. Should you repent because you were tempted? Should Jesus have repented because he was tempted? Being tempted is not a sin. It is not a failure. You're not guilty because you were tempted. You would only be guilty because you yielded to the temptation. Say it out loud. It's not a sin to be tempted. I shouldn't feel guilty because I was tempted. Now, in talking about sin, let me review just a little bit. 
When we say tempted, I'd say it like this. What are you tempted to do? You're tempted to sin. Tempted to sin. Uh, go to Luke 11. 11.4. We call this part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's a prayer the Lord taught. What does it say in verse 4? And forgive us our what? Our what? Sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now here instead of saying sinned against us. says indebted. Sin is compared to a debt. Something you owe. And what? Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Now. So when we say tempted, tempted to what? Tempted to sin. Now on last Friday, I guess it was, we talked about this and we got into this, about what sin is. We live in a time and a generation where even religiously, among Christians, it's not popular to talk about sin. It is a popular-wise and incorrect term. People much prefer to talk about, I made a mistake. I have a difficulty. I have a problem. I'm working on something. And avoid this word sin. But we don't need to avoid this word sin. Because Jesus didn't just hang on the cross for our challenges. <laughs> right? He wasn't just paying the price for our problems. <laughs> right? What was it put him on that cross? Sin. Sin. We need to, the Bible said in Proverbs, we saw this last week, fools mock about sin. They make fun of sin. Have you heard any fools in the modern generation? There's a lot of fools in universities. There's a lot of fools who have written books. There's a lot of fools that are in leadership positions. And they mock sin. They despise the concept and the idea. They think it's old. It's something that's passing away. That really it's people that are not educated and have weak minds that need the crutch of religion. And that it's a way that unscrupulous leadership can control people by talking about their sins and what they have to do to recompense or pay for it. No, there's been a lot of abuse and there's been a lot of bad junk. But the truth is, sin is a most serious subject. And only fools mock sin. People with understanding are very serious about sin and understand it's why Jesus had to come. It's why he was tied to that whipping post and scourged. It's why he was mocked and spit on. It's why he was nailed to the cross. It's why he went to the heart of the earth. It's why he died. To pay the price for our sins and to put our sins away. And when we are tempted, we are being tempted to sin. Sin. Now let me go over the definitions, scriptural definitions of sin again. Uh, and then I'm going to give you three things 
about sin that, that we really need to know and never forget. First uh, John 3, 4. You don't have to turn to all these, but you can jot them down. First John 3, 4 says, Sin is the transgression of the law. Law says, Thou shalt not lie. Well, if you lie, that'd be a sin. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Well, transgression, we said that you could say this word, violation. A violation of the law is sin. 1 John 5, 17. All unrighteousness is sin. Everything that's not right. Well, if it's not right, what is it? It's wrong. Everything that's wrong is sin. We could say all wrongness is sin. Because what is wrongness? Well, what is uncola? No cola. Well, what's unrightness? It's no right. Well, if there's no right in it, what is it? It's all wrong. Proverbs 21.4. 21.4. A high look, a proud heart, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 24.9. The thought of foolishness is sin. James 4.17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14.23 Now, you'll hear particularly among denominations and groups and different kinds of religions and sectors among Christianity talk about acts of sin. And the focus is more on that. Is doing this a sin, people will say. Is this a sin? And even among some Christian groups, they have catalogs of sins, and this is a sin, and this is a sin, and of course if it's not in the book, in the catalog, then you're okay. (laughs) And this sin is worse than other sins. This sin, you could get by with doing it, and this one you can't. But that's men's ideas. I said it's men's ideas, it's not scripture. Don't be confused by it. And don't be hung up on the act of sin. God looks at the heart, doesn't he? He's looking at your heart. And we touched on it last week and we need to just keep on delving into it in the word until we get an understanding of this. One of the big issues about sin before the Lord is what you see. What you see and what you know. Because you can't be held accountable for what you don't know. If you don't see it and you don't know it, justice wouldn't hold you accountable for seeing what you didn't see. So what you see and what you know is of the utmost importance and one of the biggest determining factors in what is sin to you. Now, I know some people, you know, that may sound strange to them. But if you weren't here last Friday, get the tape. Go back over the scriptures. Go back over what Jesus talked to the religious leaders of his time. And they said, are you saying we're blind too? (laughs) He said, if you were blind, this is over in John 9. If you were blind, 
you wouldn't have any sin. What does it mean if you were blind? If you didn't see it, you wouldn't be in sin. But now you say, we see. So your sin remains. What's he saying to him? You do see. You see more than you're letting on. See, so many of these people that actually went to the leaders of the day to get Jesus in trouble and to get him arrested and, and all these things, they knew better than what they were doing. They saw, the, so many of them saw the scriptures he was using and they heard what he said about them. They knew the word. I mean, for instance, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the word people of their day. Letter of the word. Not spirit of the word, but letter. They could quote you the Old Testament and the prophets front and back and sideways and the commentary on them. And they saw some things when he was preaching. Because that's what he's using. They saw him put things together they had never seen. They saw that that is a fulfillment of prophecy. But while they're seeing it, they're seeing the crowds. And they're afraid of them leaving them and going after him. And they just couldn't stand it. And out of fear and unbelief. And the Bible said it was for envy that they delivered him. Not because they really disagreed with his doctrine. Now friend, this is happening all over the place in the world today. People are dishonest that they really disagree with that person's doctrine. You know, the Bible talks about in Paul's ministry. He went to certain places and the people just, you know, they'd follow him from other towns he had been to stir up problems. And to raise riots in the city and cause him problems. But he went. How many remember the Bible uh, talked about the saints? Who was it at Berea? Were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness. And searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They were honest about what they saw and understood. And their life was changed. To him that knows good and does it not, what is it? Whatever's not of faith is. Well, so sin is not just this standardized thing of acts. What you see and what you don't see, what you know and what you don't know, is the big determining factor in you sinning before the Lord. So there's... Well, how can I say this? Uh, let's go further this way. Go to Romans 5, please. Have you been reading Romans? Yes. Have you been reading your chapters? Yes. You saw anything in there about sin? Yes. <laughs> about overcoming? Oh, glory to God. Wouldn't hurt you to read that over and over. Especially, you know, while we're on this series, those first few chapters in Romans, especially the, uh, the fourth, you know, through uh, ninth chapters, fourth through eight in particular, uh, read those again, read them out loud, and read them again, let it get in your spirit even stronger. The thing about sin, it's no wonder the devil don't want you talking about it, 
wants it to become unpopular and substitute other words for it. We're talking about the truth about temptation. We want to get the truth about sin. Because if you got the truth about sin, what does the truth do for you? Makes you free. Don't be afraid to talk about sin. Don't be afraid to talk about your sin. Don't be afraid to talk about temptation. Why? Jesus has already paid the price for sin. We, you know, before we get through talking about this subject, we already know. We got the solution. <laughs> we, we have found the sin solution. Haven't we? But you don't get things fixed by sticking your head in the sand and pretending they're not there and calling it something that it's not. Sin is serious. The greatest killer of mankind in all the world is not war, it's not disease, it's not anything, it's not famine, it's not natural disasters. The greatest killer of all mankind is sin. We need mind renewal in this area. What's killing people? The greatest killer and destroyer of human beings that's ever been or ever will be is sin. That's why Jesus came. To take care of the sin. Didn't he? He didn't just come to save the planet. He didn't just come to find cures for diseases. He didn't just come to feed us. And clothe us. What did he come? Why are all the problems existent? Did you find Romans? Look at Romans the fifth chapter. Y'all believing with me right? Please do. This is so big, I think I could talk all night till the sun come up in the morning. And we would have just been breaking the surface of this. So what are we going to do if we're not going to do that? Well, let's believe God to get the spirit of it and to go each step, go further to advance. How many can conceive of a church full of people that are not in condemnation? That know what to do when they're tempted? That have something in them that they're able to overcome temptation and not just yield and fall. We, you know, people put on their clothes and their Christian face and they come to church and they sit up and they say hallelujah. But how many understand people are in trouble in the church? Sin is all over the place. People are living defeated lives. They're failing. And that's one of the big definitions of sin. If you look it up literally, the, the Hebrew words, the Greek words, Sin means to miss the mark. Uh, I like the word to describe it, fail. It also means to be guilty. And instead of having so many theological terms for it, I just those two words to me sum it up. Failure and being guilty. And of course, if you're guilty, what comes after being pronounced guilty? Punish, judgment and punishment. So failure... And being guilty and being punished. But Jesus has paid the price for our sins. So that we don't have to be failures. We don't have to keep failing in that same area. And instead of hiding it. You know. Not just our church. I mean there's problems you know that people have had in our church. But all over the world. Every church in this country. Every church in this town. Every church in this state. Every church in the world. People are failing, aren't they? They're failing. They're yielding to sin. And it don't mean they haven't been saved. 
It don't mean they don't love the Lord. But people are failing. And what they're trying to do so many times is just hide it. And just cover it. And come to church and put on their happy face. But in the middle of the week they're failing. In sin. It does not have to be that way. I said it does not have to be that way. We do not have to keep failing. We do not have to keep yielding. We do not have to let sin rule us. How many believe, did you read in Romans, sin shall not have dominion over you. That's why Jesus came and paid such a price. Said out loud, I do not have to live in failure and bondage to sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over me. People are afraid to talk about these things. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They think surely if people know I've sinned, they won't have anything to do with me anymore. And they won't care for it. They won't want me involved in this. And they won't want me to be around. Everybody in here has sinned. So why would we try to sit up in here and act like we hadn't? And act so appalled that somebody else had sinned. No. They sin. We must not be such hypocrites. You have sinned. I have sinned. Every one of us. But do we have to sin? Do we have to live in sin? Do we have to keep sinning tomorrow and the next day? No, there's victory. There's freedom. Jesus has bought it. There's power in the blood. There's power in the Word. There's power in the Holy Spirit. It's possible to live victorious over sin. It is. You don't have to be a liar. You don't have to be a thief. You don't have to be a fornicator or an adulterer. You don't have to be. You don't have to live your life in bondage. To the lust of your flesh. There's power in Jesus. There's power in this word. There's victory in our redemption. Say it one more time. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Romans 5. Are you there? The fifth chapter. And we'll begin down in the twelfth verse here. It says, by one man sin entered into the world. And what happened as a result? Death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Back up to the uh, third chapter of Romans. Well, excuse me. Sixth chapter. Six and twenty-two. Being made what? Free from sin and become servants to God. Say it out loud. I'm a servant of God and I'm free from sin. You have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Come on now. Do you see that? This is exciting. Holiness now in this life. A holy, victorious, free, clean, victorious life right here and now. And throughout eternity, everlasting life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. 
But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Skip down to the 8th chapter and the first verse. There is therefore what? Now what? Oh, I hope you're awake. I hope you're awake and getting this. I started out saying this, and it wasn't just my words. We're back to it in the Scripture now. He described temptation in that seventh chapter. He described failure. Do you have to be condemned because you have failed in the past? Do you have to be condemned because you were tempted today? Read verse 1. Read it out loud. What? There is... Therefore, now, huh? Less condemnation. What? Huh? No, N-O means how much? Zero condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now let's just stop here. Would that mean no condemnation about failures of the past? Sins of the past? Hmm? If you still had condemnation over how you've blown it and failed in the past, then you can't have no condemnation. you got some. How much condemnation because you've been tempted today? How much? Come on, how much? No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Keep reading. Verse 2. Why? How did we get in this glorious... No condemnation state. Where we have no sense of shame about the past. No sense of guilt about the temptation of today. No fear of tomorrow. No fear of failure this evening. Oh, come on, come on. How did we get like this? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Our heads don't half understand what that means. But if you pay attention with your spirit, your spirit's jumping up and down right now going, Oh, glory. Oh, glory. It's true. It's true. It's true. See, the devil, you know, he had the power of death. And generation after generation was kept in the grip of death and failure. Even over the the ones that didn't know the law. He talks about that and describes that through these chapters. And he still tries to get people to believe that it's helpless and hopeless. You're just an old sinner. And you can't live no better. You can't do any better. You can't help it. You're going to fail. You failed yesterday and you're going to fail again today. You're a slave to your desires. You're a slave to your feelings. You're a slave to your lusts. But there is something more powerful than the law of sin and death. There's something more powerful than what goes on in your body and your unrenewed mind. There's something more powerful than your past. It is what was paid for by the blood of the Lamb. It is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And what we got to do, my friends and family, we got to camp on this. We got to stay on this. You got to let me teach it to you and preach it to you. You got to read it in your chapters. You got to stay on it more than a day or two, more than a week or two until this gets real to us. 
until the truth of this makes us free from everything else that's trying to hold us out of it. Put that verse back up there, please, that second verse. I want everybody to read it out loud at least three times. Say it out loud. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Come on, say it again. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now close your eyes. Say it out loud. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Is it true? Then sin shall no longer have dominion over you to live the rest of your life subject to sin, in the control of sin, in failure and guilt and shame. Well, the only way that would happen is when you're tempted, you didn't yield. (laughs) You know you're forgiven and clean and washed from all the past times you did. Hmm? And you've received your righteousness restored by faith, but then you maintain that sense of being right with God today and tomorrow by not yielding today like you did then. Not yielding tomorrow like you did back then. Is it possible for you not to yield? Come on, is it possible? Is there something stronger in you? Greater is He that's in you. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is more powerful. Where sin abounded? Huh? Which is bigger? Which is more powerful? See, this whole passage talks about this. Which is greater? What happened in Adam and Eve at the garden or what happened in Jesus at the cross and the resurrection? Which is greater? The sin and the death or the righteousness and the life? Which is greater? The law or grace? Death or life? Sin or redemption? What Jesus did is greater than anything going on in this world, in your body, in your little mind, in your past. Greater. Somebody say greater. The blood is greater. The price that's paid is greater. Jesus is greater. His word is greater. His spirit is greater. That's why I don't have to sin. (laughs) That's why I don't have to yield. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, this thought, I think I can sum this up before too long, but this thought we need to get settled in us. The wages of sin is what? Because men have sinned, what came into the world? Death. And because all have sinned, what happened? Death passed upon all men. Death. Can you separate the sin from the death? I want to ask that again. Can you separate the sin from the death? Now this is what the devil doesn't want people to see. Go to James 1, please. 
Think about this question now. Is it possible to sin without the death? Now see, the devil is telling people you can. If people really believed, if I do this, it's going to kill me. They really believed it. Would they be quick to do it? No. Does this go all the way back to the beginning? Yes. Hmm? What ruined everything in the garden? Sin. Not an innocent mistake. Sin. And this is what you have to watch when people are using different words. It's not just about the technical meaning of the word, but I've dealt with people before. And you could tell they're not repentant. They've done something that's obviously wrong. And it's caused terrible problems and destruction and harm to them and people around about them. And yet they're talking about, well, I, I made a mistake. I come short. I had a problem. I made a mistake. What are you saying? Sometimes people are using different words because they're trying to say, I couldn't help it. It's not really my fault. I didn't know. And this we touched on this last week. And men, this is one of the biggest ones. If sin has to do with what you know, then it's going to be common that people try to con you about what they know. And when people are saying, well, I, I didn't really see that. And I, I, you know, I knew this, but I, I was already into it before I realized this. And they're lying. And if you're lying, you're not repenting. And if you're not repenting, you're going to stay. In your unrighteousness, in your broken condition. How do you get free? First John 1, 9, how do you get free? If we what? Confess our what? Sins. What do you mean it was sin? Sin is, I knew better. I saw it. I knew it. You must admit it. You must step up. And not make excuses. If you confess your sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive you. Now, what accompanies sin every time? The wages, the pay, the result of sin is death. Say it out loud. The wages of sin is death every time. Can you sin without the death? You can't. And that's the thing the devil wants to hide from people. How many remember Adam and Eve standing out there? The serpent's talking to them. And what's he saying? The woman said, oh no, God said don't eat of it, don't touch of it. God said, lest you die. What did he say? What did he say? No, no, no. What's he trying to, did God say the wages of sin is death? What did he say? When you sin, what's going to happen? Death. Death. What's the devil saying? The devil is saying you can get away with it. You can do it and not get fired. You can do it and not lose your marriage. You can do it and not go to jail. You can do it and get by with it. What's he telling them? You can do it and not die. 
Didn't he tell them that? Is it a lie? Can you ever get away with it? That was weak, but I won't answer it for you. (laughs) Make sure you got your ears wide open now. Nobody ever gets away with anything. Ever. Someone says, I know somebody did. No, you don't. It ain't over. Some things come out in this life. Some things come out later. When people repent, they're under the blood. So it says, well, we got away with it. You didn't get away with it. Jesus paid a terrible price for it. And you repented. And nobody can con God about repenting and make like they repented and they didn't really repent. You can't fool him. So if you really did repent, you dealt with it. But nobody ever sins and doesn't deal with it and gets away with it and gets off with it. Never has happened, never will. It is written, the wages of sin is death. When you sin, death comes. Now, when they sinned in the garden, did they both fall physically dead that instant? No, sir. And that's the thing that's confusing to a lot of people. They think, well, see, they didn't die. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. And death affected every part of their life. I looked up that word death. And one of the original definitions is interesting about it. It literally means to lose life. And boy, you can see that, can't you? All of us have sinned. We know what we're talking about. When you sin, you lose something. Don't you? You lose some life. And in its wake and in the vacuum of what you lost is a decaying misery. Can you sin without getting that? How many understand sin is a big deal? We should abhor sin. We should be completely, totally against sin in our lives. And it's not a little deal. It's a big deal. Jesus had to come pay such a huge, huge price for it. But this is what you got to know when you're being tempted. Because the devil's a liar. And before this is over with, we're going to get into some detail. We're going to talk about how to deal with temptation, how to overcome it every time. And we're already touching on it. But here's one thing that will help you. When you're being tempted. And the only way you could be tempted is if you know it's wrong. If you didn't know it was wrong, you couldn't be tempted. You know it's wrong. Whether you're admitting it to yourself or not, elsewise it couldn't even be a temptation. But you're being tempted to do it, and you might play games with other people about it, but you know. Why would you even consider going ahead and doing it? Hmm? Unless you are entertaining the same thing Eve was entertaining. What was she entertaining? The Bible warns us in Hebrews about the deceptiveness, the deceitfulness of sin. Three things you got to know about sin. 
We're talking about them right now. Number one, sin is real. It is not some imaginary thing. Sin is real. Number two, sin is a liar. Numerous scriptures, look them up, talk about the deceptiveness and the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what we're looking at right now. He's telling her, and the Bible said Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. She was deceived into what? What was she deceived? That she wouldn't die. That they could do it and get away with it. Do you see the deceitfulness of sin? The lying of sin. Can it happen that you can sin and not get the death? Has it ever happened? Will it ever happen? No. Do people really get away with things? No. And he says, well, they killed those three people and they lived their whole life and died and never got in trouble for it, never went to jail. They got away with They didn't get away with anything. If they didn't repent, they're going to answer for it later. Nobody ever gets away with anything. The only way to be free from something is by the blood of the Lamb. Can you say glory to God? And how many understand that wasn't free in the sense that he had to pay a terrible price to get it. You and I benefit from what he paid. But the lie is, you won't die. Say it out loud, I don't believe that lie. Then what do you believe? Then you believe if you yield to the temptation, you're going to die. Oh, you may not fall dead that moment. And then again, you may. How many understand there's a whole lot of people on the planet that should still be with us, but they're not here. Because they sinned. And sometimes, you know, God had mercy on you in times past. You might have done it 900 times, but now you're saved and now you know better. And sometimes all the enemy needs is one more time. And he'll take you out this time. How many understand one more wrong relationship could be a deadly sexual disease. Could kill you. One more getting too drunk, too high. I mean, you could blow a blood vessel. You could have an aneurysm. You could have a heart attack. You could die right there on the spot. Don't think you couldn't. Oh, I've done it lots of times before. The mercy of God. Somebody say the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Mercy of God. The lie that you can do it and get away. Say, I don't believe that lie. So then if you yield, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Some part of you, you're going to lose. Something's going to die. It could be your marriage. It could be your children's respect. It could be your business. It could be your prosperity. Your integrity. Your self-confidence. Something's going to die. You cannot do it and be untouched. Something is going to die. And how many understand, if you know that, while you're dealing with the temptation, what's it going to help you? (laughs) It's going to help you to be strong. It's going to help you to go, hey, I ain't stupid. You ain't going to convince me I can do this and not pay for it. I know better. Sin and death cannot be separated. 
You do the sin, you're going to get to death. And then thirdly, we say sin is real. It's not imagination. It's not just somebody's philosophy and theory. Sin is real. Number two, sin is a deceiver. It's a liar. And number three, sin is a killer. These three things need to be cemented in us so that we don't take sin lightly. We don't treat it lightly. Sin is why the world is the way it is. Sin is why babies are starving to death tonight. Sin is why people are shooting and killing each other. Hmm? Sin. Sin is why the earth itself is groaning and travailing. Earthquakes and hurricanes and, and why the atmosphere is messed up. Sin. Sin in the earth. Oh, the Bible talks about a time soon and very soon where God's going to restore everything. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And there is no more curse in it. No thorns. No briars. Never too hot. Never too cold. Everything's perfect. Perfect. Why? Because the effects of sin in the earth will have been fixed. Jesus has already bought it and paid for it. It's just a matter of time until he affects it in the whole planet. In the whole atmosphere. What's the greatest killer of mankind on the planet? Sin. Why did Jesus have to come? Sin. The reason today for all the terrible stuff. Sin. But does it have to rule you? Do you have to live under the guilt under the shame. Do you have to live in the death resulting from yielding to sin? No, you do not. Stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet. Say it out loud. Sin, sin. shall not shall have, dominion have dominion over me. Over me. Glory, to Glory to God. Lift up your hands. Begin to praise the Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.